0: How's it going, everybody? It's Joel B. Um, If you're one of my students, welcome. We're just going to do some review material on Peter Singer's pond analogy and his argument about poverty. If you're not one of my students, it's great to have you here. These Podcast episodes are dedicated to reviewing some of the content that we talk about in class and to reflecting on some of the really important conversations we're having. So I want to review Peter Singer's pond argument. So Peter Singer is a really well-known philosopher who has this really interesting argument for the following conclusion. He's going to try to argue that you have a moral responsibility to give away all of your disposable income or what he calls your excess wealth all of your disposable income on behalf of charities that are working to alleviate extreme poverty. This is poverty that is so dire as to be life-threatening. So why does he think that you have to give away all your disposable income? And let's just like point out for a second how radical that conclusion is. A lot of people think that throughout their lives they should give something that they have a moral responsibility to distant strangers, uh, to the world's poor, that poverty is a great harm to humanity and that it ought to be alleviated to some extent. Some people deny this. Some people think that we have no moral responsibility uh, to distant strangers. There are those who are called ethical libertarians, who think that the only time you have an, an obligation or a responsibility to intervene and help someone who is in need is when you have caused their condition, when you have caused their suffering, or when you're complicit in their suffering. So there's a philosopher, Jan Narvison, who we did not talk about in class, and you don't need to know about Jan Narvison, but some of you might be interested to hear his perspective. He argues that if you live in in city A, and city A uh, attacks city B, and is responsible for destroying some of their resources and stealing some of their resources, then it's very clear, very clear, he thinks, that City A has a responsibility to compensate City B. But he says, just imagine that City B uh, experiences a drought and experiences economic shock, and um, there's all sorts of uh, economic vulnerability and need in City B. But City A is not causally blameworthy for that. They had nothing to do with it. He thinks that in that case, the residents of City A have no moral obligation to help the residents of City B. They could do so if they wanted to, but in that case, it's pure charity. It's not an obligation of, of morality. It is something you could do out of the goodness of your heart. But I think a lot of people, um, and I'm just going to reveal my, my cards here, a lot of people, myself included, think that that, that position is mistaken. I think that we have responsibilities, Uh, obligations to help those who are in need even if we didn't cause their suffering or didn't cause their need but Peter Singer wants to go even further than this modest claim he wants to say that you have really strong duties to help those who are in poverty so dire as to be life-threatening so what is his argument Um, just to rehearse it real quick he gives this really clever argument called, called the pond argument so he invites you into this thought experiment and imagine you're walking past a shallow pond and suddenly you see a child drowning in the pond. And this is a shallow pond. You can easily walk in and pull the child out. You're not gonna put yourself in jeopardy by doing so. But now imagine that you're about to rush in and you realize that your shoes will get ruined in the process. These are 50, maybe $80 shoes, and they'll be destroyed. He asks you, do you have a moral obligation to save the child even at cost to your shoes? He thinks that everyone's going to come away from that thought experiment and say, yeah, in that case, you have an obligation to save the child, even at cost to your shoes. And I think he's right there. I mean, clearly, if I was in front of that pond watching this child drown, um, I ought to sacrifice my shoes in order to save the child's life. And so what Peter Singer does is he says, if you think that in the pond case, then you should think a similar thing about those who are in danger of drowning, quote-unquote drowning, from poverty. There are people around the world who are experiencing poverty so dire as to be life-threatening. And were you to sacrifice some of your luxuries, say your next fancy pair of shoes that you don't really need, and send that money to a reputable charity, that charity could lift a child out of poverty and prevent them from dying. So he says, if you think you ought to do it in the pond case, then by parity of reasoning... You ought to do it in real life. There can be no excuse for rescuing the child at cost to your luxuries in the pawn case, but not rescuing children in in the real world at cost to your luxuries. Now, how do you get to the really radical conclusion that you should do this with all of your disposable income? Anything you would use to buy luxuries. And to just define luxuries real quick, it's pretty intuitive. Luxuries, he thinks, are the things that aren't necessities. Necessities involve your food, your shelter, your medical expenses, maybe even the things that help you survive and keep your job. So, you might need a car, you might need some work clothes, you might need a computer or a phone to help you achieve all these things. But he's going to argue you don't need the really nice car, you don't need the really nice phone, you don't need to continually be buying more and more luxuries. You certainly don't need the vacation, you don't need the jet skis, you don't need the lake house and so on. And so he says, just imagine you're walking past the pond and it's not your shoes this time. It's that fancy dinner. You're headed on on your way to the fancy dinner. And if you stop to rescue the child, you're going to miss out on your dinner. Should you do so? Should you sacrifice your dinner to save the child? Clearly you should. And he's going to say, okay, then you should sacrifice your luxurious dinners in the real world in order to send that money to charities that will help pull children out of poverty imagine you're walking to the airport you're on your way to a vacation and again you see the child drowning should you forego the vacation miss your flight miss paying for that ticket in order to save the child i think it's very clear most of us say yes you ought to do so and again peter singer is going to say then you should do the same in the real world for children who are experiencing the threat of poverty. So. The idea is that for any luxury you can think of, if you're walking past the pond and you have a trade off between that luxury and that child, you should give up the luxury to save the child. And since the pond case, this is very crucial. Some people sort of don't draw the connection clear enough in, in some of the uh, homework assignments I'm reading. I'm looking for a little more connection. Draw the connection between the pond case and the conclusion. And the connection is just this. The pond case is an analogy for the real world of poverty, where people are drowning from poverty. And since there's no relevant uh, dissimilarity between the two cases, then what you conclude in one, you should conclude in the other. If you conclude that you ought to sacrifice all those luxuries to save that child in the pond, then you should do the same for real children in the real world. And that's how he gets to his really radical conclusion. He says in the article that was assigned for class, the singer solution to world poverty in the world as it is now, I can see no escape from the conclusion that each one of us with wealth surplus to his or her essential needs should be giving most of it to help people suffering from poverty. So dire as to be life threatening. That's right. He says, I'm saying that you shouldn't buy that new car, take that new cruise redecorate the house, or get the pricey new suit. The formula is simple. Whatever money you're spending on luxuries, not necessities, should be given away, unquote. So that's the argument. And it's, I think, important to see how radical this conclusion is. I mean, just think about ordinary things you purchase on the regular, like your latte, that is a luxury. Like That's not a necessity. You can function, you can live, you can get by doing your ordinary daily activities, going to work, going to school uh, without the latte. And Peter Singer is going to say, therefore, you have to send that money elsewhere. The money you would spend on the latte needs to go to a reputable charity. Now, there's some ambiguity, right? Because like, think about maybe the computer you're using right now or the phone you're using to listen to this podcast is that a luxury in some sense it is Um, but you might need a phone in your context in order to get by in order to make meaningful transactions in order to be a part of a business or something like that and I think singer is going to allow that if a piece of technology helps you achieve ordinary things in your society and your context then maybe that's a necessity I'm not I'm not certain about that And in fact, you can test that. (laughs) You can test that against the pond analogy. I mean, imagine you had to sacrifice your computer or your phone to save the child. I mean, I think you should do so. Um, So I don't know. Maybe Peter Singer even thinks that your phone or your computer should be sacrificed. Um, But there are other things that are more obvious, like the home renovations. You you want to renovate your home because you're, yeah, you just want a new aesthetic. Um, Singer's going to say that that's not permissible, and so on. So there are different responses. One way of responding to the pond argument is just trying to show that there's something dissimilar between the pond and poverty. That these two cases don't actually map onto each other in the right way. So what some people will say is, well, in the pond case you can guarantee that you're going to save the child's life. That's why you have such a strong obligation to sacrifice luxuries. Like you can you can be certain that you'll save the child's life. But the objection goes, In the real world, we can't be certain that our donation is going to save a child from poverty. And Peter Singer responds by saying that actually there are really reputable charities that have been tested um, for effectiveness. And these charities are actually really effective with your dollar and um, have a, a good history of putting that money to use to actually rescue children out of poverty and so on. He gives some examples from an organization called GiveWell, givewell.org. If you haven't explored GiveWell, I highly recommend checking it out. Um, Each of the charities endorsed by GiveWell have been studied for effectiveness, and by the standards of those conducting the research, they're relatively effective. So that's how Peter Singer responds to that. Another response some people raise is they say, well, in the pond case, the child is right in front of you, whereas in the case of poverty, these are people who are distant from us. They're across the world, they're across the country, maybe even across the city, but they're not right in front of us. Surely the the proximity of the person in need makes a moral difference. So maybe we ought to sacrifice a lot in order to save the people right in front of us, but we're not obligated to, save, to sacrifice a lot to save people who are in totally different countries. Singer's response is that it seems odd that distance should make any moral difference. I mean, just imagine that you're walking in, in front of a TV and you see this TV um, airing uh, live footage of a child who's drowning in a pond halfway across the globe. And if you um, sacrifice your shoes right now, then that child will be pulled out of the pond by a crane. I think Peter Singer is going to say, well, like clearly you should do that. And it doesn't seem to matter that the child is halfway across the world. We all intuit that you should save the child. So he also just goes on to say, look, look, what, what does distance matter? Why, why does it matter if the child's in front of you versus far away? If you can rescue them, that seems to matter. Another way of objecting to Singer, rather than trying to draw dissimilarities between the pond Case and poverty, is just to say, well, if we follow Singer's advice, it has some really detrimental consequences or perhaps some counterintuitive consequences so for example one objection that came up in class and that is very popular is people say if every financially well-off person followed singer's view it would destroy the economies of the developed world right maybe even the the economies of non-developed countries so if we all stopped buying luxuries imagine the immense job loss the immense uh, revenue loss and so on that would would result People depend. People's livelihoods, people's jobs depend on this. So, the argument goes: if we actually follow this, uh, the conclusion of this argument, then we'll end up making everyone worse off. And so, s- surely there's something wrong with the argument. We should reject it. But Singer has a really good response to this. He doesn't think that everyone simultaneously should give up their luxuries. That all the all the people in the developed world who have um, disposable income should just altogether give that away because here's the thing he thinks that if everyone was being mindful of poverty everyone was doing their part then everyone would have to do very little it's only because so few people are going to do something that the people who do do something have to do so much I hope that point makes sense, but it's a, very, it's a very important response. He says something like this in his first paper, Famine, Affluence, and Morality. Since the situation appears to be that very few people are likely to give substantial amounts, it follows that I and everyone else in similar circumstances ought to give as much as possible. But yes, he agrees if everyone was going to give, then you'd actually have to give very little. Sometimes people say things like this. They'll say, not everyone will be motivated to do what Singer says, and that's not really an objection to his argument. Um, sometimes people won't be motivated to do the morally right thing, and Peter Singer says, that's that's too bad. People should be motivated, but if they're not, that's not an objection to my argument. Sometimes people say, I don't think someone is a bad person if they don't go to the extreme of giving all away all their disposable income. And Singer might agree. He might say, yeah, they're not a, a bad person. They're just doing the wrong thing. Sometimes good people do the wrong thing. Um, he might even push back and say, actually, I mean, imagine you walk, you walk past the pond uh, when the child is there because you don't want to ruin your shoes or you want to go to that dinner, you want to go to the vacation. Um, he might say, actually, yeah, you are a bad person. So that's another response he could give. And finally, we talked about a really important objection um, what about aid causing dependency? If people are giving so much aid away, is this going to cause dependency in developed countries? And Singer's response from his book, The Life You Can Save, as we read in class, is something like this. Well, there are actually really interesting ways of giving money that encourage productivity and self-sufficiency rather than dependency. And so we looked at some research um, about cash transfers and how... Cash transfers in certain parts of the world, for example, in Zambia, have proven very effective. And people use them to pay off debt, to start up businesses, to make agricultural um, investments for their families. So there's some research, like really good research showing that cash transfers can really help people and and boost productivity rather than undermine it. But I think the jury might be a little bit out on that. Um, I don't know. Um, yeah. And there are different ways of giving too. So it's not clear. I mean, one, one objection, not objection, concern I have with Singer's response that we read in class, his appeal to cash transfers is like, well, there, not all the organizations that work with poverty are doing cash transfers. There's so many different ways of helping, and, and you need to show that all these ways are, are not going to create dependency. All right, I'm going to move on to uh, one final way of objecting to Peter Singer. And this is a way we talked about in class. There's a one one thing you can do is you can try to take his original thought experiment and modify it a little bit to show that it it actually generates some really odd results. And so maybe that's a reason to think that pond reasoning or starting using these pond cases is not really the right way of thinking about our obligations to the poor. The idea is supposed to be something like if Pond reasoning leads to really bizarre or counterintuitive results, that's reason to think that Pond reasoning is an errant form of reasoning. So this comes from uh, a philosopher named Larry Temkin. He just says, reimagine the Pond case. And, and actually, his, his case is very similar to uh, an example that one of you came up with in class. So Um, Hats off to you um, for for thinking about this and being creative. Imagine you're walking past the pond and you're actually on your way to a very effective charity and you have $100 in your pocket and it's one of the charities from GiveWell and if, if you take this money to the charity, you'll be able to rescue 10 children from poverty. That's really amazing. But suddenly you see the child drowning in the pond and if you save the child you will ruin the $100. It will be destroyed in the pond, and you will not be able to donate it to the effect of charity. What should you do? Some of you thought, oh, well, like, you should take it to the charity, but I actually think that you're not, when you, when you answer like that, I think you're not putting yourself in the thought experiment enough. I think, I think if you really imagine yourself in front of that pond, on your way to this effective charity, I think you're gonna you're gonna jump in the pond, and I think you ought to jump in the pond. I mean, I think it would be really morally mistaken to to stop and reason and be like, "Yeah, but I'll save more kids." So this is really unfortunate, but you know, I'm gonna go save more kids. No, I think you should save the child right in front of you. Um, and if you agree with that, I think it shows something odd about Singer's pond case. In In ordinary life, we think that we ought to send our money to the most effective charities. But the pawn case actually invites us to to give our money away in non-effective ways. There's something about the pawn case that leads us to sacrifice effectiveness. And that's really counterintuitive. In the real world, we shouldn't sacrifice effectiveness. I mean, if I had to pick between a charity that's going to rescue a child today versus a charity that's going to rescue 10 children in the coming year, I think a lot of us think, well, it's probably better to send that money to the second charity, or at least sometimes we should send it to the second charity. But if we follow the pawn case, it's almost always going to tell us, send it right away. And I think that's, a, that's really counterintuitive. But if we use the pawn case to reason about our duties, we're going to come to the conclusion that we should send it to the non-effective charity that addresses immediate needs. So we should very often make more effective philanthropic investments and forego investments that rescue immediate needs. Um, but pond cases actually kind of tell you to do the, the, the opposite. And so I think that they give us the wrong advice. They're, they're misleading. The other thing I want to say, this is a, an objection that I'm kicking around and would love to... Um, develop into a, a paper in response to some of the, this pond reasoning. And there's like a massive literature on this. So maybe this has been covered. But I, I think there's another problem with pond reasoning. Another reason I think that it's, it's like misleading us about our duties. Imagine that you are complicit in wronging some other person. You've exploited them. Worse, you've enslaved them. You've condoned their oppression. You've been complicit in their oppression. You have a duty of repair, you ought to make reparations or something like that. Some people call these reparative duties or remedial duties. I'll just call it the obligation to repair. I think it's very clear that um, justice demands that we make repair, make reparation to those that we have wronged or those that were complicit in wronging. And this is like a really strong moral duty. But if we looked upon cases to try to figure out the nature of our moral responsibilities, I think we're going to be told by the pond cases that we have to always forego these demands of justice, that we have to always give up on pursuing our responsibilities to repair. Just think about it. You're walking past the pond with um, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to compensate this person that you have unjustly wronged, That this person that you've been complicit in oppressing. And you've worked hard for this money because you you owe them compensation and you owe them reparation. And you see the child drowning in the pond. You see where this is going. If you jump in to save this child, imagine that you're going to lose all that, comp- that compensation money, all that reparation money, and you'll maybe never be able to get it back. And this person will never get reparation from you. What do you intuit you should do? When I really try to put myself in that case, I think, "Oh my gosh, <laughs> however, however unfortunate it is, I have to rescue the child." But in the real world, I think we very often have a responsibility to forego immediate needs around the world, and give a lot of our wealth as part of compensating those who have been wronged or those that we have wronged. I think our country ought to do this. I think that. Um, Local and state governments ought to do this. That people ought to collectivize to help compensate uh, victims of injustices that they're complicit in. But if Singer's pond argument is the right way of thinking about our duties, that pond—the pond argument suggests that we have to give all that money actually to the immediate needs around the world. And I think that there's something really counterintuitive about that. That it it. It implies a conclusion that his intention was something that seems so obvious, namely that our obligations to repair are very strong and ought not be put on the shelf to attend to every immediate need around the world. Sometimes, as unfortunate as, as it is, we have an obligation to put the immediate needs of the world on hold for a time in order to compensate those we have aggrieved. So these are all reasons to like be wary, I think, of... Singer's Pond Argument and I'll let you think more through that Um, but I I think whatever you do with Singer's Pond Argument you shouldn't walk away from this section of the class thinking yeah yeah that's an interesting Pond case but um, it just has a crazy conclusion so forget all that you might not buy Singer's Conclusion but my hope for you is that it has awakened some sense of conviction about your responsibility to help those in need. The reality is that many of us uh, who are working through the Academy who are getting four-year college degrees are going to be financially well-off throughout our lives and I just it's hard to imagine that we could justify very lavish affluent lives luxurious living when there is so much need in the world. We may not have to, to make all the sacrifices Peter Singer argues we have to But why do you think that you don't have to make very substantive sacrifices on behalf of other human beings whose lives matter, but whose lives are in jeopardy because of circumstances like poverty beyond their control? So um, go ahead and check out GiveWell.com and think about how you, even as a college student or whoever you are listening to this, think about how you can improve and increase your contributions to alleviating suffering around the world. Um, GiveWell. .org is a great place to look and start. All right, we'll see you in class.